Judges 7 and 8. We're going to do two chapters. Uh, and uh, that it'll, it'll be about the halfway point at about the halfway point this evening. So um, this is the end of the story of Gideon, but not of his family. So that's where we are uh, here this evening. And we begin with this incident I call the 300. Uh, more than once in my study of scripture, I have noticed that brigades are a favored uh, number of soldiers that are used. And a brigade, if you remember the charge of the light brigade, that would be 600 and 300s would be a half brigade. And here we have an example of a 300 um, uh, uh, in the Gideon story. So Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men rose early in the morning and camped at the spring of Harod. Uh, this is in the Jezreel Valley. Uh, you can see that there's a uh, if, you, if you Google this, you will find a little tiny spring that looks like about three people could stand there. And, but that's not the whole thing. There's, all, there's a, an, a whole area with this winding uh, stream and all kinds of places. It's a, it's a wide, spacious area, but not just a little tiny thing that you get on the Internet. Um, and while I'm saying that out loud, I should remind everybody that next Sunday, my son Peter will be doing a Bible class on the, the Bible class on Sunday morning here at St. Paul's about his trip to Israel. Um, so uh, the very next Sunday in the calendar, July 2nd. Mm -hmm. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to give Midian into their hands. This is the theme of the chapter. God uh, whittling away Gideon's army down because he's got too many men. So that Israel will not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Say now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And then 22,000 men left and 10,000 remained. I don't know if you can see this very well, but that's 30,000 little tiny, itty-bitty, eeny-weeny human being icons from wingdings. Took me a long time. And also, they're animated because two-thirds of them run away. Okay, <laughs> so I'll do that again, just so we see that I, how I spent my Sunday nights. So, all righty. Uh, that's a thousand now, or I'm sorry, 10,000 that are left there. Uh, and uh, they sure do get funny looking when you make them smaller. Are, are you counting, Paul? <laughs> you have that intense look in your mind. Okay. But the Lord said to Gideon, uh, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say this man shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this man shall not go with you, he must not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord said to him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. So is there anything morally wrong with drinking water one way as opposed to another way? I mean... I have, I have a child who will hold a glass of water like this to drink. And I believe we had a former president who didn't know how to hold a bottle of water and would 
really, really try. Um, but some people, you know, some people aren't ordinary blue collar folks, right? So different people do different things. Uh, but uh, here, lap like a dog is the, or as opposed to those who do it a different way is, is uh, the, div the divider. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest down, got down on their knees to drink. I have only about once in my lifetime ever drunk with my mouth in the water, straight down. And that was in a clear stream in, I believe, northern Michigan. Um, otherwise, if I dared to drink out of a stream, it was always either with my hand or my, what's it called, the Sierra Cup, um, picking things up out of that. That's what you use in backpacking, because it clips onto your backpack, it's Sierra Cup. Delightful taste of the Sierra Cup. And then my, my dad figured out, or was it my mom, that it was pewter, we threw it away. You know what the recipe is for pewter? It's one quarter lead. So yeah, it tastes really interesting, but throw it away. Because maybe that's what's wrong with me now, is uh, lead poisoning. But yikes. Um, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into, their, into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own home. So they reduce the whole group once again. You know what? I'm currently reading, I'm, I'm rereading um, the, uh, the Sherlock Holmes. And uh, in, the, in the short story that I'm on right now, the, uh, the, the, the sinister fake preacher is supposedly writing a monograph on the kingdom of the Midianites. It just occurred to me. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's uh, Holy Peter. The uh, he's the bad guy in the in the thing, but uh, it's the Midianites. Didn't mean anything to you. Let's just go on. Okay. Anyway, the dream of the tumbling dinner roll. We had these last night for supper. <laughs> <laughs> You know, sometimes cats spook and then things happen in your kitchen. That's, that's just the way that it is. So Gideon took the provisions from the troops and also their horns. And then he set the rest of the Israelites back to their tents, keeping the 300. But they're not dismissed, right? He, he, go back to your tents. We're going to go do this, but you guys stay. They're, what do they call Bivouacked or whatever, camped. So... Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley and that same night the Lord said to him, get up, go down and attack the camp for I've given it into your hands. Uh, with the Lord there is no hanging, out, hanging around. It's just get up and go, get down there. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Then you will have the courage to attack the camp. So he went down with his servant Pura to the outposts of the encamped army. So the Lord had first sent home two-thirds of the army by saying if they're scared, they shouldn't be part of this. Now he says to their commander, to Gideon, you know, if you're scared, um, you don't get to leave, but you can go down to the, to the picket line and uh, to, to the pickets, um, what do they call them, the, uh, the guards, the outpost guards, and listen. 
And so that's what they'll do. Because any, any camp worth its salt that's, that's, that's uh, encamped for the night will have base, uh, various guards stationed away from the camp to find out if anybody's coming and so forth. Uh, so that's what he does. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east along the valley, is what, this is what they see. Wait a second. Have I gotten too far? No. Okay. So we kind of have two, three groups here, right? The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east. Can I just call them the Arabs? Because out beyond them is the, is the Arabian desert, so we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, as th- all, lay, lay along the valley as thick as locusts. And uh, I've been thinking about this summer and uh, the way that it started. And I, I, I worry every summer, do I worry too much? This could be another year when the locusts will come. Um, the specific temperature and wetness that causes grasshoppers to, to whatever it is in their brain to change and then they become locusts. And it's, it's like a hot, wet spring or something like that. They be, and then they become gregarious. They want to, I'll say, flock or whatever. And then, then they, and they become a swarm rather than just hop around separately. But one of these years, we've been now 150 years without them, but one of these years they could come back. They could come back. Uh, so as thick as locusts, and their camels were without number, countless as the sand on the seashore. A lot of camels. When Gideon arrived, there was a man telling a dream to a friend. And now I get to listen to the way this guy talked. He said, listen, I had a dream, listen. And in it, a cake of barley bread. Can you make a fist? That's cake of barley bread. Okay, it's a dinner roll, right? Or a dollar bun or whatever. So a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It rolled to the tent and struck it so hard that it fell down. The tent overturned and collapsed. I I thought about a funny graphic of this that I could make with a tent flipping over, but I didn't. But remember, this is a culture where everybody knew how to set up and put down tents. They made tents to sit up and stay up and to, you know, and to endure and so forth. And, uh, and so, and what would your sergeant say if your tent got hit by a dinner roll and fell over, you know, (laughs) do it a hundred times before dawn or whatever he's, you know, my dad was a drill sergeant. Just, I found out this weekend that my dad very nearly ended up in a war that I'd never heard of. Uh, dad was in the, and he, because he never told my mom while she was living. He was scared of, of what her reaction would be if she knew. But in, uh, mom was still in high school. They were engaged. He, was, he had just graduated, but he was full-time. Would have been 59. And he said it was Africa. And America almost went to war in Africa in 5960. And uh, we didn't. But his group was training in the sand and, and stuff like that, training with, uh, with, with tanks and how to, how to do things in the sand and so forth, studying Rommel's tactics and things like that. And dad was studying how to, 
um, take care of your machine gun when it was all clogged up. They, had to, they were on the beaches in South Carolina purposely jamming their guns up with sand. They could figure out how to get them unjammed quickly and stuff like that. But fascinating talk with my dad. Anyway, anyway, so uh, why did I say that? Because he was a sergeant, that's why, okay. Tent overturned and it collapsed. His friend answered, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given Midian and all the army into his hands. Sometimes a commander will recognize that he's taken on uh, reputation, maybe even a nickname. Remember what they called Colonel or, or General Jackson in the, in the Confederacy after the Battle of Bull Run? Stonewall. And he let it happen. He's like, you know what? If they gave me a nickname, that's reputation. It's going to roll, and, guy, and the Union will be afraid of me. And he was okay with that. Um, uh, Wellington. What did they call General or uh, 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 the, the Duke of Wellington? The Iron Duke. That's pretty intimidating. Patton. Old blood and guts. That was Pat, George Patton. Uh, 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 and, uh, and, and then in our own lifetime, General Schwarzkopf. Remember what his nickname was during the first Gulf War? Stormin' Norman. Uh, but during, during, the, during the Gulf War, in, what was that, 90? 90? 91, something like that. But uh, yeah. Um, and then in peacetime, Teddy Roosevelt understood that a good slogan or a good reputation can go a long way. What was TR's famous slogan? Speak. Yeah, speak softly and carry a big stick. Yeah, um, so a reputation can do a lot. Uh, a reputation can win half the battle sometimes because the other side is scared. So keep up the scare is one of the tactics of, of, of an army that way. Um, and the Lord here is going to use Gideon's own reputation in, in his favor. And let's, yeah, let's use this. The guys already know about you. Um, so when Gideon heard the dream being told and its interpretation, he worshipped God. Gideon throughout has a very good uh, relationship with the Lord um, until, as with so many of God's leaders, right at the very end of the story, he, he, he trips. But uh, all through this, though, he's doing very, very well. So he worshipped God and returned to the Israelite camp. He said, get up. The Lord has given the army of Midian into your hands. So let's get up. Let's go. All right. This part of the story, I maintain, is very difficult for a Sunday school teacher to teach properly. Because I think that children... Uh, or, the, or the teacher gets into the details so much that the main point ends up getting lost. The main point is that the Lord wanted to reduce Gideon's army and then wanted to use a little bit of fear to make the opposing army lose the battle. End of story. Um, but if we get too much into what happened with the jars and so forth, we can easily lose track of what was going on. Because, Will, let me ask you, Will 300 jars breaking up on the hill affect the hearing 
of a hundred thousand warriors down here in their camps? I, 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 Two-thirds of them won't even hear it. Won't be a big deal. It's not the sound of the breaking jars that's important. Um, it's what happened. It's why the jars broke that's, that's, that's really important. Well, let's get into it. After he divided the 300 men into three companies, so even smaller, let's just do this in, in, in three 100s. He gave each of them horns and empty jars with torches inside the jars. Um, why torches in the jars? That's an important question. Yeah, it's like turning your flashlight off, okay? But torches don't have an off switch. You know, you've got to sit there and, and, and get the torch going again to make it go. But if you just put it in a jar, um, you can get away with it, especially if the cover of the jar is pointing away from the camp that you're going to, then the light from the jar just goes up into the sky and no big deal, right? So, and easier to carry that way also. So they have the jars. He said to them, look at me and do the same thing. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. So the 300 are there. And 300, if, if, if Gideon did have a massive army, 300 might be the number of trumpeters or heralds he would have for his many, many thousands. But instead, it's the whole, that's the whole force that he had. He didn't have anybody else. And Part and, and, and there's always so much genius behind everything that God does. And I feel uncomfortable saying that because genius seems to be too puny a word for God, right? But let's recognize the genius because if there were more guys in Israel in the dark doing this this night, they could have gotten hurt in the confusion and all of that. So God limits the size of the attackers also not only to destroy Midian, but to limit the casualties on the, on the Israelite side, I think. So there's, and there's probably more that I'm not thinking of going, on, going in here. But, so do as I do. When I blow the horn, I and all the men who are with me, forgive my grammar here, I'm the translator. Me and all the men with me doesn't sound right to me, right? So when I blow the horn, I and all the men with me, is it, I, I remember wrestling over this and I asked, well, what's that useless thing that we're supposed to use grammarly? It didn't know, you know, and so I, uh, I should have asked Jan Frederick. That's what I should have done. She's an English teacher. Anyway, I and all the men who are with me, then you also blow your horns around the whole camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon preferred to say for the Lord, but he knew that his reputation was involved, so he lets him say for Gideon also. So Gideon and the hundred who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. This is around 10 o'clock at night. When they had just set the watch, they blew their horns and smashed the jars that were in their hands. What's the result of smashing the jar with a torch inside? Suddenly you can see the torch. So smash the jar and then grab the torch. So now that like the flashlights are all on or whatever it is, or the searchlights. So all three companies blew their horns and broke their jars. 
holding their torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. What kind of horns are these probably? Ram's horns, the shofar, yeah. They're kind of twisty. It's a, it's a, a, a ram, and they're, they're kind of hard to blow. It takes a lot of wind and practice, but they were experienced at it. Um, and, they, and they would have had their swords in their, in their belts, so they were armed also. But they, they cried a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran. They cried out and fled. So they had surprise. This thing at night, they were waking up. Some of them were just going to sleep. Most of them weren't, you know, all together. It was dark. You know, in their culture, it gets dark. You go to bed, period. And they would get up, by the way, when the, with the dawn. So a different schedule than most of us. Uh, but when, when they blew the 300 horns, the Lord caused them to turn on one another with their swords. And so the Midianites draw their swords, but... And I think for some it was a natural soldier's reflex. For some it was just instinct. Some drew their swords because other people did it. You know, whatever, self-defense. But in this 10 o'clock darkness in the Jezreel Valley, um, you have to understand nobody could tell anybody else apart. And how many languages are we talking about in the Midianite army? Midian, yeah. Amalekite and I'll say Arab. So three languages. And in the dark, you can't tell one guy from another. These guys have, this guy got a different uniform. What's, what's with his beard and everything? And so they just, you just start stabbing and slashing because you're afraid. And, the, and, and, and 100,000 Midianites turn on each other in this army. Go ahead, Mark. The, I think we have a description here of panic, but the concept of panic is a Greek word and concept from a later date. So I, it, the, the description of what that is is really here. They, they, they turned on each other and so forth in their fear. But the, but the intellectual concept of panic is later because we get the word from the god Pan in, in Greece. Pan would blow his horns and send people into a fright that they call the panic. So it's, it's a Greek concept from later on. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have uh, some directions now, and I could have bothered with a map, but instead I'm going to ask you to turn on your intellectual inner map of, of the Holy Land in the simplest possible terms. So the army fled as far as Yeth, Beth Shita towards Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel, Mahola, and Irtabath. Then the men of Israel who were called out from Naphtali, remember they were still in their camps 
from Asher and all of Manasseh. They pursued the Midianites. They went southeast. There's nowhere to go from the Jezreel Valley to get back to Arabia except across the Jordan River. So you can't go across the Sea of Galilee, not in the dark. You know, you can't go across the upper reaches of the Jordan because of the gorges and the, and the way and the, the difficulty of the Jordan there. You've got to go southeast. You're not going to get across the Dead Sea no matter what you do. But near Jericho, there are fords. Okay, and, some of the, and there's a good ford right above the Dead Sea that probably is what Ruth and Naomi used back and forth to get in and out of Moab so quickly all the time. But famous, more famous fords right by, right by Jericho. And this is what the Israelites knew. And now we're going to see that these, guys, these Israelites, Naphtali, Asher, Manasseh, they're going to cover, if I can use that word, those, that exit across the Jordan. So they've, they've, they've got them. So now victory and judgment. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying... Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan against them. There we are. As far as Beth Barah, so all the men of Ephraim were called out and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They captured two Midianite generals. I think the NIV says leaders or something, but generals. Um, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb. Pretty sure he got, that, that got named after they killed him, Right? And Zeb they killed at the wine press of Zeb. Uh, uh, do we have time for? Has anybody here read, not watched, but read the Lord of the Rings? Did you read it once upon a time? A long time ago. Um, in the movie, we see the the wizard Saruman uh, killed in a certain way in the movie. But and I mean, spoiler alert. But in the book. That's how he died, but not at that time or at that place. He actually dies right outside Bilbo Baggins' houses, the, the door of Bag End. And, um, and uh, his, his uh, henchmen by that time were calling him Sharky. And they renamed the, the street Sharky's End. Because, you know, it's a joke. But, uh, but anyway... Uh, so they do this also with the Rock of Oreb and the wine press of Zeb. But look, um, just, just consider this. Um, uh, the wine press of Zeb. How did we meet Gideon in the first place? Threshing wheat at a wine press. And now this guy they get at the wine press of Zeb. And there's a connection. He's going to make this connection later. Um, so that's a pretty cool thing. So they pursue the Midianites and bring the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was at the Jordan. So he's not the one who kills these generals. Um, the, the other Israelites were, the men of Ephraim and so far. And so on. But they, they bring the heads, proof of death, I suppose. To, they couldn't just grab the stripes off the guy's shirt. So, gory. At this point, this is where we switch to chapter 8. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.